Hello, and welcome to Crouching Tiger Hidden Podcast, uh, Episode 1. Um, I'm Dave Cox, and I'm here with Vader Van Oden. How are you doing, Vader? Hello. Good, thank you. Excited to start a new podcast about Kung Fu movies, uh, a great favorite of mine in my pastime. Yeah, so, yeah, it's something... Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> excited to get into it and talk about some, some martial arts. Yeah, I think uh, I, I really haven't run across um, any other martial arts film podcast, not recently anyway. So I think it's something long overdue. Well, we'll say this is the one and only. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. Yep. It's the only one you need to listen to. There can only be one. <laughs> that, that that's Highlander, but okay. <laughs> they have swords. Jelly did a movie called The One, didn't he? He did. He was so the one in the multiverse. The quote was from Highlander. You're right, but <laughs> I was thinking of the movie, the Jetly movie, the one. That so, works even better. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was curious to know, like, um, your history of kung fu films. Like, it, does it go way back? Did it, did an older brother or family member get you into them? Um, actually. I think I probably got myself into them and maybe some friends in high school. Um, I do remember some old, uh, like dubbed shows coming on TV, uh, when I was a kid, um, super inframan. I, I recall that one for sure. I don't think I knew at the time what it what the title was, but, mm-hmm. um, it just really stood out. Not only was there a lot of martial arts going on, but a dude transformed into a giant robot. So that had me sold, I think, from the get-go. It's always cool. Yep. But, nice. uh, yeah. I mean, nothing nothing's really stood out um, probably until high school. Um, I had a, a couple buddies that were just really into, like, a lot of, um, like, the 70s uh, kind of classic um, kung fu films. Um, and then I, I was starting my own collection um had a bunch of titles on vhs uh how about yourself <laughs> um so, uh, similar but um i've got um one of nine kids and i've got uh, four older brothers and so i just like my video games my board game history it's it's been heavily influenced by my older brothers and so i think very young Bruce Lee was a part of my life <laughs> uh, through through my brother. He had a giant poster, like one of those fabric printed ones uh, of Bruce Lee. And so watching like Into the Dragon, these early Bruce Bruce Lee movies from a very young age. Um, and so that kind of evolved into through, um, started watching some more obscure things uh, like Monkey Magic. And, and at, by the end of high school, I kind of went into a deeper uh love of kung fu movies especially into the jet lee and the jackie chan uh, movies by that point um and went on a bit of a collecting spree of dvds um which i don't collect dvds anymore because there's the digital world but i still have all my uh jackie chan discs uh, around the house still um yeah so it goes way back uh it's just, i just like the way they tell a story very different than western cinema um and yeah i just really like and Kung Fu is just cool. Like martial arts is just cool. <laughs> did you, uh, did just you ever fun. get into any martial arts yourself? Um, this, I've got four, as I said, I've got four brothers. So we fought. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're all fighters, but some older brothers did a bit more than I have. I did a bit of uh, Taekwondo for a while. Um, and then didn't like having to learn Korean cause I wasn't very good at it. So I, I switched to kickboxing because then I could just kick people. 
Um, <laughs> it was a bit simpler. <laughs> but yeah, not, I wouldn't say, um, yeah, I do like my martial arts and I'm physically capable of doing stuff, but I've never, never had the time or the discipline to actually stick with a martial arts. I was more into my rugby. Um, but I, I think why I like Kung Fu movies, or maybe that's why I wanted to do this at one point, I was actually preparing and planning to work as a stuntman in my younger days. Oh, really? <laughs> I wonder if it was inspired. It was inspired by Lord of the Rings and the movies, um, and also uh, Kung Fu movies, just because I was so always so impressed by the work, like especially Jackie Chan, like the work they do is, is so impressive. Um, yeah, so I wanted to be a stuntman. and oh. Did that, some that's awesome. Yeah, so shows, you did but... um, you did some extra work uh, for Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, yeah. I was an orc. I did some battle scenes and stuff with Lord of the Rings. Um, did a little bit of training with the the stunt team, uh, the fight coordinators and stuff for some of the battle scenes, but nothing nothing too serious. Yeah, that's still a foot in the door. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but that was a long time ago now. Um, <laughs> and yeah. I'm, I did some minor stunts, uh, fight scenes on some TV shows as well. Um, some water work and some, yeah, some fight scenes. So I kind of, I kind of regret not going down that path, but it is a hard industry to get a break into, especially in New Zealand. Um, not much. Uh, we fear it actually happens in New Zealand for our size, but it's not as big as somewhere like LA or, or, or Hong Kong. <laughs> we'll be focusing on, on this podcast. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's tough enough to get into industry when you have access to, you know, that sort of um, environment. But yeah, yeah, huge, huge love for these shows. Then my next question for you, I'm full of questions today. Are you a dubbed or subbed person? Um, subtitled mostly. Um, I prefer to listen to a lot of this stuff in the original language. Uh, with um, any of the Korean martial arts films or the Japanese ones, um, those are languages I've studied either through work or through school. So I'm pretty comfortable with even not having subtitles on those. Uh, for the oh, Chinese, cool. of course, I, I, I need subtitles. Um, I like the dubbed if it's a specific genre or um, maybe films I had seen as a kid. Um, I, I remember hearing them that way first, so that's was preferable. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm more of a subbed person, um, I find. Although it is, it does make some pretty fun um visual effects with the bad dubbing <laughs> so oh, yeah. it can be hilarious, <laughs> hilarious at times but i'm the same with japanese anime and stuff i prefer the subtitles except for a game like you say a few specific examples like cowboy bebop where the voice acting's actually done quite good in the in the western release um, i tend to prefer the the traditional language the the native language with subtitles good we're on the same page then <laughs> sounds good It'd be fun if we had a, like a difference, but oh well. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll find somebody that does. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's our bit of our history. Um, what what should we let the people know, listeners know? What we'll be talking about today? Yeah. So, um, our the first film we'll be talking about is Hero. Uh, it was released in two thousand two, um, in Hong Kong, and then in most Western areas, it was released in two thousand four. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess when did, would, do you remember when you saw it first? Uh, I saw it, I believe in 2002. Um, the copy I saw was probably not, it was probably a bootleg. <laughs> I 
I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, no subtitles. I think I just watched it because it had Jet Li in it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I would have seen it until about 2007. And I've just realized that it was that late just now as we've been just discussing um, and talking. Um, a friend of mine came from America, came to New Zealand and was doing a master's in Asian film. And this was one of the, the movies he was doing, included in his thesis and was studying. Um, and he actually showed it to me because he found out I like Kung Fu movies and I'd miss, missed this one. <laughs> so I saw it a little bit later than, than everyone else. Well, it, uh, it certainly has a lot to um, dig into if you're, if you're looking at it from a, um, cinematic angle and and basically tearing down the movie i mean there's just thematically visually there's it's a it's a dense film yeah it it does it does a really cool thing i was just flicking through some of the key scenes before we started recording and it does as you say it's very dense and there's a lot of meaning and metaphor in the visuals but at the same time it's also very sparse to allow those messages messages to um to get to the, the audience um, like there's a lot of scenes where there's very little audio and it's just visually appealing. And so it's not like attacking your senses um, overly to allow you to absorb and contemplate the, what you're seeing and what you're, what you're kind of experiencing. And I, I really like that um, without jumping, I guess we're going to have spoilers, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we should say there'll be spoilers for anything we're discussing on this. Cause we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we can't talk about Kung Fu movies without talking about spoilers. I, and I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but I tend to do that on the dark insight, my other podcast, uh, the, the, the very, the kind of, I guess the end scene, one of the very important end scenes when um, the nameless warrior gets um, taken out with arrows. Uh, it's just that, that there's no real audio except the thumping of the arrows. And then it takes the time to just pan and cross and see the arrows quivering in the wall behind him. And you don't see him. You just see the outline of a, of a, of a body that would where that where arrows were blocked by him, by his whole body. And it was, it's a very striking scene without being violent or gruesome. Uh, you know, the consequences of, of what just happened, but it's not going to the, of being gory or disturbing about it. Um, it's more peaceful for such a, like a harrowing experience. And, and I like, I like the way they, they approach this film in that way. Uh, okay. Um, I, th- I think a, a good point <laughs> to that is um, the way that I remember seeing or, or, or taking in that scene when I first watched the movie, um, you know, more, well, more than 10 years ago, um, <laughs> I, I wasn't in agreement at the time um, of the ending. Like I thought it was cheap and I didn't uh, understand why my hero gently, you know, <laughs> um, spoiler did not make it through the film. Um, but as time's gone on and, um, either through, uh, studying Chinese history, um, cultural mores and values, these kind of things, which this film traffics in heavily. I mean, this doesn't yes. translate one-to-one to a Western audience at all. There's, there's core themes that do, but I think a lot of the reasons and motivations might not. Um, but this, this most recent viewing, watching it again, I'm like, okay, I agree pretty much with what everything that's happening. I, I know why it's happening and it's probably the correct 
thing to do in the in situation for the for the king of Chin. Yeah, he was put in a position with no choice, um, and it seems like he should have a choice. Um, but it's a it's a culture that's very uh, dictated on um, tradition and procedures, uh, and the fact this this uh the, the nameless warrior i guess we should make that clear that that jet lee's character doesn't have a name he's just known as the na- nameless uh he attacked the the king the emperor uh though he attacked with without any constant like, damage done to the, the emperor he still attacked the emperor and for that there has to be a punishment and that's what's so nice about the ending and it's only done in text it's not actually real oh, there's a little bit of a showing of it is that the nameless it says uh, in text nameless died as an assassin but buried as a hero so the, the emperor still honored and respected what he did in that sacrifice that he performed by by making a statement that he did yeah, and I mean, I guess if we're talking about the ending, we'll just work a little bit backwards. So the yeah. um, uh, the nameless. That's uh, my fault. That's my fault. No, that's, that's fine. I think it works this way. Um, <laughs> so Jet Li's character um, at the the end of the film, uh, he is sent, or he he basically decides to go assassinate um, the king of the Qin Dynasty, and at the at the final point in the film when he's has a clear shot. He's, it's a choice of do this or don't. He elects to not actually go through with his assignment. And I think that that's the point that we see that the, um, the king does respect that mm. he, he had the wherewithal to get that close, to have all these, this big intricate plot to, you know, get him within 10 paces of the king and um, for him to, to not go through with it because he, the Jet Li's character understood why the king needed to live for the benefit of the country. Yeah. And exactly as you're saying, um, I think Jet Li says something when he it has like a dramatic shot of Jet Li uh, leaping the, the 10 paces, the gap to the emperor and striking. And there's even an audible strike sound um, of a sword. Uh, but it's it's a close-in shot of Jet Li and the Emperor's face and there's shock on the Emperor's face. And then the, it, it pauses and Jet Li just says um, something similar to, I have accomplished my mission. And then the, it pans out and then the, drops down the camera and you see that it's the hilt of the sword that Jet Li's jammed into the back of the Emperor's, uh, into the Emperor's back. Uh, and that's the thing, that, that Jet Li went in there well, his initial mission was to kill the emperor, but his overall goal is to was to 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 make peace, to stop the battle with his kingdom or his land where he comes from, with the emperor's um, armies. And so he, even though he didn't kill the king like he originally intended, he still achieved his mission because him sacrificing himself led to to peace and to uh, a unification of. Of, of the land. Um, and because that's the thing, killing the emperor just leads to more war. And that's what he was trying to stop. That just revenge begets revenge, I guess, is what Jet Li learned in, in, in his progression through the, the, through the arc of the story. Uh, Did, yeah. Uh, and then. Make any sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think another big point was um, that particular um, king uh, had an idea of uniting 
the country under his own rule. It wasn't just carving out his own piece of the empire or, you know, ruling his own little kingdom. He was it's this grand vision of just uniting everyone, getting rid of um, all the little opposing dialects and kind of having a unified China. Yep. So I think that that, um, that concept, that idea of that piece was achievable only if that particular king survived because if they had killed him and someone else replaced him, you know, the, the chances of that person being like a despot, um, was a much higher. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I imagine uh, at the time that the other kingdoms were warring between each other anyway. And so, yeah, so there, were, there was conflict regardless. Yeah. It would have just been each for their own. So just think about now, this is actually a good example of, um, ethical theory and i think if in university people are studying ethics should look at this film because it's talking about that the theory is that the suffering of a few isn't as important as this as the the need of the great and that's what the case the moral of, of the of this movie is is that those few suffer and that is terrible it's better that the greater population or portion finds peace and that's why Jet Li was willing to sacrifice his life for the greater good. Hmm. Uh, and to kind of work backwards, um, we see that uh, it's, it's not just Jet Li's character sacrifice. It's the, it's the other assassins, basically the, the stronger warriors laying down their swords to enable Jet Li's character to, to get where he is. Like each yeah. of them sacrifices themselves personally for the, the betterment of their country. I guess is now a good point to jump back to the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, again, I apologize. I'm too eager. Um, yeah, the, the film's just depicted in a very interesting way. Um, I just, uh, noting reading uh, Wikipedia, I noticed that Quentin Tarantino, it, it's, it says that he was, he was fi- it was finally presented by Quentin Tarantino to the American theaters in 2004. And it's interesting seeing that he is involved with the release in the West because this does, it's very similar to a Tarantino film and how it's filmed because uh, there are, it's very segmented like a number of Tarantino films. Um, so I found that quite interesting. So he obviously appreciated it and um, obviously fought to get it released, I guess, from the sounds of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's depicted through this, this telling of this events by different characters in the film. So the first, first opening scene is uh, nameless entering in the, the, the King's palace. Um, but he's not allowed within a hundred paces uh, because oh, to keep the King safe. And he presents the swords of three assassins um, or weapons. I think one's a spear, isn't it? Yes. Um, and because of, and these assassins have attempted to kill the king and the, or the emperor in the past. Uh, and because of presenting these, he's able to move closer and he tells the story of how he overcame these great assassins. Um, and that's depicted in red from memory. Yes. Um, so yes. the first um, initial retelling. Uh, so, so basically um, the, the weapons that he has, um, each one is basically a trophy. Uh, showing his mm-hmm. defeat of that particular warrior and he's 
allowed a few steps closer um, to drink um, with the king um, based on his, like, his, it's like a merit, like his achievement of doing so is like a reward to, you know, be a little bit closer to the king. And uh, so in his recanting these uh, these tales to the king the um the cinematography in the in the film it um everything's rendered in red uh yep so the co- the out costumes the scenery is very red inspired um yeah a very red theme <laughs> so the um the first assassin he um or the first yeah i guess assassin he's used to go with that um the first person he takes out is um Sky. Uh, this is uh, a character portrayed by Donnie Yen, who is also uh, uh, yes, a fan yeah. favorite. <laughs> he's he's gone on to do Ip Man, isn't it? Is that Donnie Yen? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Good. Yeah, he's. Um, I think his last. Uh, he he was in the most recent to to date podcast. Um, was in Rogue One, the Star Wars film. Oh, of course. Yep. And um, he started in. I, I don't keep up with them, but the the latest um, Fast and the Furious. Oh yeah, yeah. When I haven't seen, I haven't seen the last six or so. <laughs> yeah, I saw the first one. I think that was it. <laughs> but I'm, I'll probably go watch this just because it has Donnie Yen. He is very talented, and he's very cool. So um, I think um, this scene was pretty striking. Uh, they're they're basically in a, a courtyard. Um, when they're encounter one another, um, nameless and, um, sky and, uh, sky's character is playing, um, go, uh, with, I believe it's just one of the, um, chin, uh, army. Maybe it's a, a sergeant or something. And, um, through, through their kind of game, um, they're, they're kind of reading each other's intents and um it uh, it comes to pass that uh the uh, chin small like a militia group there is um sent to assassinate um sky who uh wields this fairly that's a large silver spear yeah it's very ornate uh doesn't look that effective in killing <laughs> <It's>, yeah <laughs> but um, sorry, one bit sick. Uh, that's all right. My daughter's decided to come in. Um, okay, yeah. Um, continue. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so um, we get our first big set piece. You know, they're in this this giant courtyard, and uh, he Sky um, kind of makes the rounds, going through. I think maybe two successive waves of uh, these other soldiers attacking him and he's fending them off, making it look quite easy. And I think the giant key point is he's left the cover on the, um, the the tip of his spear. So it's not, it's um, it's not lethal. It's just like a leather strap covering it. And uh, he, he takes care of the first, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he takes care of the first wave of those um, soldiers, and uh, eventually um, Jet Li's character steps up, and the fight kind of takes a, a different turn. 
Yeah, I like the scene. This the scene, and um, it's very visually striking because it's raining during this this fight. Um, and they use it's all done in a quite a slow pace. Um, but it's the move the water's moving slow as well, and it's trying to show how legendary and powerful these these two warriors are, and how much better they are than than the average soldier. Uh, these are these are the elite of the elite, and they they are moving so quick in between droplets of water. Um, they're striking, and it's it's very visually powerful and and quite um, yeah very effective in portraying the awesomeness. It's it's fantastical. It's not it's not it's not in the realm of realism uh, like some other kung fu movies might be, but the, but it's it's portraying a message that um, that's important to show that th- this this guy is powerful. Uh, he is to be feared, and also I like the. I like that there's a, uh, I can't remember what, I don't even know what it's called, the traditional Chinese in, uh, string instrument uh, being played by a, an old wise and wise man in the background. <laughs> I find that very, very cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's playing the zither. Um, that, that's it. Or uh, uh, Huquin, I think is the Chinese name. Forgive my pronunciation. Um, oh, uh, an interesting point about that. So the, the music um, is just as if not probably one of the most outstanding portions of the scene. I mean, we get, yeah, we get the slow motion raindrops in the water, but the, the music kicks in with that, the, the old man playing the stringed instrument. And it's, that's, that's the tone I think for the match. Yep. And it's all to that beat, isn't it? It's all to the, 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 the slow plucking of the, yeah, of the instruments that the kind of the fight happens. And that ties in with the dripping of the water and it's, um, all elements seem to be coming together to portray this this scene of wonder um, and and this combat. Yeah, and I, um, I think you know there's a there's a measure of respect um, between the two combatants that is um, is conveyed because the uh, the old man playing the stringed instrument he kind of sees the fight getting serious and he you know he packs up his stuff and he's kind of just <laughs> walking off and uh, you know the, the jelly stops him and. It's like, oh, you know, play, play us one more song, and you know, gives them a little bit of money, and then the battle, I think, starts for real. Yeah, I like, I like that little, that little um, interaction there, um, and we get that kind of element. How martial arts or sword arts are, a, uh, are an extension of other art forms, and that um, we look, and so in this case, it seems to be that mix between uh, music or rhythm with 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 the sword play um and later we get it with the calligraphy and sword play and how there's a tie to it um and i i like that um that that the master of the sword is is the mastery of other forms which ties into a very um japanese kind of um, take on on the way martial uh, the sword uh, a samurai it's to be a master of of the sword and other things um if you're gonna do it right do it do it to perfection <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I really like that. So I guess, I mean, of course this scene ends, um, as, as expected with, um, Sky's defeat at the hands of Nameless, which gets, or nets him, I guess the tip of, uh, that silver spear to present later to the king. Yes. Um, and we, then we, that's as we move on to. Uh, it's still very it's all depicted in red um to a calligraphy school if i remember correctly 
Yes. Um, where the next two assassins who had attempted to kill the emperor uh, reside. And that is Broken Sword and Flying Snow. And um, these two are interesting because uh, they, they are a romantic couple, aren't they? Yeah, they, um, they have a history. I mean, and um, that's what Nameless relates to the king that he played off of, that uh, they hadn't, I think, been speaking for three years. It was some period of time where uh, they they had been at odds with one another, and he wanted to use that to his advantage. Because during, during this, these scenes, um, it's Jet Li describing it to the emperor. The emperor expresses, like, or could, like, doubt or poses questions. He's like, well, how can you defeat these 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 warriors? Um, and Jet Li counters and provides ways because, as you say, he um, he used their weaknesses against them. He, put, he used their their history against them. Um, we get a really cool scene here at this calligraphy school because the emperor's army is attacking this place, uh, trying to hunt down the flying snow and broken sword. <laughs> Just thousands of archers shooting arrows. And we had Jet Li um, or Nameless and flying snow just doing this crazy kung fu stuff and deflecting hundreds and thousands of arrows. <laughs> so again, very, very hyperbolic, um, over the top, um, but to just show how legendary and great these warriors are. Yeah, I think it's uh, um, it's maybe a page that they could have uh, taken when they when they filmed um, three hundred, and uh, they're saying, oh, you know, well. The, the arrows will blot out the sun. It's like, oh, we'll fight in the shade. Well, these guys didn't need to do that. They just kind of danced. Yeah. And uh, um, to, to <laughs> I think to make it even more uh, visual, um, uh, Snow wasn't even using a weapon. She just she was using her dress, like just the, the trails of her sleeves yes, right. to like <laughs> knock arrows out of the sky. It was great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, and while uh, Nameless and Flying Snow are de- defending uh, this calligraphy school, we have um, we have Broken Sword, who is uh, at the request of of Nameless, is writing. Um, uh, is it one of the twenty words for sword? Uh, he, he's okay. So there was, I believe, Nameless says there's nineteen different ways to write the characters for sword, and. Um, he tells the king, my my request um, to Broken Sword was to write me a 20th way. That's right. Yep. Because um, somehow th- through his calligraphy, Nameless would be able to understand the weakness or, or the style um, of um, Broken Sword's sword play. Yes, to learn about him. And that's what I was getting at with the music and the, and the, the martial arts. And now we've got... Uh, Broken Sword is focusing on his calligraphy um, and the, the tying the two together. And, and Jet Li is, is trying to learn from his, um, I guess, brush technique on how he would fight. Um, and it's a very striking scene, um, especially that it's all red. And it's depicted as a very red um thing it's all very it's it's very violent it's, it's probably one, one of the more violent uh depictions of the story isn't it um in uh, a lot of ways yeah i think it was and it's underscored that um 
the the rest of the master of the calligraphy school um and a lot of the students they're in the it's a, like a multi maybe a two-story um, pagoda and they're in the the bottom floor of the school and the arrows are raining down kind of coming through the roof and mm. the students are trying to flee but the master of the school tells them that no we're going to stay and we're going to write because um by showing our our seriousness like what we believe in and then the kind of the power of our calligraphy um that will be our our testament i guess um to these attackers showing them that they're wrong i mean (laughs) it's getting the students killed in the process uh, but that was like a a sort of a defiance yeah it was it was definitely sending a very strong message right even if it's just to us as viewers um that like yeah standing up for what they believe in and 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 i guess showing a lot of courage and bravery um yeah yeah i mean yeah go ahead quite quite an awful scene in a lot of ways because yeah you have these students who go back to their their writing tables and they're just slowly slumping over one at a time as they get hit in the back with arrows as they just write yeah, I um I don't remember that scene from the first time I saw the movie, but I was and I think in the rewatch I was like, wow, would I, why would I forget this? This is like this profound in like its brutality, but in the way that they were like just resigned to this task, or I didn't not even resigned, but they were like steadfast, I guess, in this task. Yeah, steadfast is a good word. Um, actually, now you mentioned that, it's something I was thinking of before. Um, we started recording as I was flicking through the scenes. Uh, I only watched this again a week or a half, a week and a half ago, maybe two at the most. And it's it's a movie that is like the message is not easily forgotten, but and the overarching points I remember, but the details are, seem to be easily forgotten. Like I would, as I say, only two weeks ago, and I was flicking through and I couldn't remember seeing some of these things. It's like. And that's not like me. I tend to have a good memory for visual things. Um, and I think that's, I guess, a testament to the way the film is created. It's not supposed to be glorifying specific things. It's supposed to be portraying a message of peace, despite the, the warfare that's happening in the film. So we're not supposed to necessarily focus on these things, though they are happening. The overarching message is, is what resounds from this film. Um, yeah. I don't know if that made, yeah, that, that's just how I've been thinking about it in the last half an hour. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. Um, just recalling the film um, in, in the first place, um, when, when we decided that this was one, one of the ones we were going to cover, um, I recalled the end message. I remembered clearly the outline of the arrows, you know, giving him that silhouette at the end. Mm-hmm. And I remember the colors because they yep. were so deliberate and showing, I mean, it's not... We're, we're um if if anyone hasn't watched this and we're we're saying red or whatever the color is going to be it's not like a, a a lens tint they literally changed like the clothes of everyone the, the makeup um, curtains yeah. the makeup everything you yeah. can see on in, in, that's framed on the scene is that red everything is you know yep. it's, it's it makes everything stark by contrast when it starts to shift to the other uh themes and, and and that's what i was trying to get at with the quentin tarantino thing it, it's depicting these different stories but so clearly um 
visually like it's it separates them so it's not it's easy it's not it's easier to segment and work out what's going on because of just the visual approach um but i guess we should truck along um, yeah <laughs> he um basically uh nameless uh like we said earlier uses their history against these two assassins and overcomes them um but again, as I mentioned earlier, the king has doubts. Um, and, and I like how the king's portrayed. Uh, he's a ruthless uh, overlord in some ways, but he, he's, a, he's also a very intelligent um, clinical man. He knows, he, he, he knows when people are lying to him and he's had experience. And so he's no fool. And he pretty much just says that to, to Nameless. He's like, I don't think you're telling me the truth. <laughs> um, Yes, you've got the swords, but I don't think that's how you got them. I don't think you overpowered these assassins. Uh, and so now we move into uh, we move into another color, uh, and this is the king's interpretation of events. And so he now retells the same story of how he thinks it's happened. And I guess he would have had uh, some intelligence from his network of spies. I imagine he would have, and uh, so there may be some information he's already gleaned, um, but also from observing the story that that nameless has provided he he comes up with his own events which is depicted in the blue as in a blue setting um what to be honest i i'm struggling to think of the main differences um yeah i actually don't recall that um that segment it was brief um it is a lot it's it is shorter basically from what i remember it's more that they uh that the assassins are willing to provide their weapons as trophies is is that correct is that uh, i believe that? so i think the way that um um nameless's character or nameless is saying that he defeated them and that's how he's presenting these these um the broken mm. sword and um the flying snow uh but when the king retells the story um it's framed in a way that perhaps uh nameless didn't win he was allowed to win and that's how he uh a collusion i think is more more uh, what it was yeah. rather than a victory and yeah exactly um and it's there is a quite a cool scene on a very beautiful lake uh, mountain lake um <laughs> which goes with the blue. Um, actually, why, why, why I've mentioned that. Um, what are your thoughts on the reasons for the colors? Do you think there's uh, any artistic reason or cultural reason? I don't want to lead you down a, uh, a leading question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that there it's both. Um, the, uh, the cinematographer for this film um, is Christopher Doyle. And... Um, a lot of his work has been uh, with the director uh, Wong Kar Wai, who uses color uh, and sound to more of an effect than just general dialogue in a film. Mm -hmm. A lot, of, a lot of the moments kind of stretch and they're silent, um, but everything's told through just color palette. Um, that has a large part to do with, and I'm sure. Um, uh, as a director of cinematography, Christopher Doyle kind of just took what um, the director wanted to do with something and then said, okay, if we frame it this way 
and you know maybe take into account specific uh, meanings for colors um which unfortunately i i'm not so um, up to date on uh but yeah i think every every one of them were chosen for a specific reason yep um, from what I understand, um, no, uh, especially from this is mostly coming from my uh, film studies friend. Um, yeah, like you said, it's mostly cin- cinematography uh, reasons. Um, the the colors actually were used to support the scenery that they were that they were filmed in, and so the red was used in the first one because of the red the red building the traditional kind of red ready orange you know, deep red paint that um, Chinese buildings were colored in. Um, and then the blue was to, for the, for the lake as a representation of the lake uh, and so on. And it was, yeah, that was the main reason is that it was more of a visual striking effect. They wanted to do the separate colors to separate the stories. Uh, this is what the directors said. Um, but my, mostly it was down to the locations that the, they were filmed in that, that kind of dictated the costume and the wardrobe choices. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. And again, the portion of the film that lasts, uh, like I said, I don't remember specific events. I mean, even, even watching it just a week ago, some parts are lost to me, but the, the colors didn't go away. Like I know what parts are, <laughs> what color. Because I've heard, I've actually heard of the same friend of mine, his um, his supervisor, who's a lecturer at the university. He would actually teach people about this um, and talk about how red is a, a red a red is the color of passion and violence. But that's actually a very Western yeah. um, view on the color. Red is actually more of a good, a, a lucky color in, in in Chinese culture. It's it's a positive color, whereas in our Western culture, it's yeah denoted with either violence or extra passion um, and passion sometimes leads to violence. And there is that element in the story, but I think that's in all the stories, not just the red version. No, it's, um, it's yeah, that, that element of the passion, the underlying theme um, runs through all of the versions. Um, but it's yeah. that, that is one thing that does change the intent of each time um, mm. in the first one in the red, it's, it's jealousy. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like the colors, I think we can, as as viewers, it's just like all art. We can read into things easy enough, and our interpretation may be different than the next person's. But the intent, from what I understand, the director was they wanted just to segment the, this areas, yeah. and the, the colors look good. <laughs> and <it worked>. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my little spiel on the colors. Um, the blue was very cool. I say the fight scene over the lake uh, with them like using the water to, to spring off was quite, is quite visually effective. Um, though very unrealistic as it was all done on ropes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, then we move on to the actual events because now gently saying, you're right. I didn't necessarily fight them like I said, but this is actually how it did happen. I'm paraphrasing obviously. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's what happens. And it's, um, it's a shorter segment again, because it's, um, it doesn't take the time to go through and redo all the events. It just changes kind of one key moment. Um, and this is where gently, um, he's telling the King, um, because the King surmises you, you brought these weapons to get 
specific like a distance to me because each each achievement was going to get you a little closer and now you're within 10 paces so there must be some reason why you're this close uh, and you know yeah. they, they originally searched him for weapons when he was admitted to entrance with the king and so he's unarmed um but some technique is going to allow him to be within 10 paces and complete his task so the yeah. the white version when he's recanting the tale um uh at this point instead of defeating um either uh snow or broken sword he's he's convincing them and showing them his skill that will allow him to to do the mission but still needing their sacrifice or at least one of them Yes, so it's, it is like the king said, or the emperor. I keep switching between king and emperor. I don't think it matters. The emperor. It, it, uh, it's, it's okay in either case, I think, in this case. <laughs> uh, they, they are colluding, but in the actual events, he was, Jet Li was still requiring them to make a sacrifice. Um, and he says that he's so, so precise in his movement that he can actually provide a blow that looks like a killing blow but avoid their major organs and so they they would be able to recover but they still are risking a lot because he needs to stab them <laughs> yeah i thought that was, that was an interesting uh point there you're thinking oh there it's a sacrifice but they're just basically placing their trust in him both with their lives and with the country Yes, um, and then he pr he shows. This is when we see his uh, ten pace technique because he demonstrates his precision um, at this point. Is this the one where they um, throw up like hundreds of black calligraphy brushes and one white one, and he strikes the white one? Uh, yes, I, I want to say the first instance um, in the blue version, he runs around and cuts all the books down in the yes, library. That's and then in yep. the white actual event, um, Broken Sword throws a white um, calligraphy brush at him and he wants him to like split it. It's kind of unspoken. And to make it harder, um, it's not Broken Sword, but Nameless who kicks up oh, another a bucket of brushes to show yes. that, oh, I can do the thing you want, but I'll make it even harder on myself and still stab one brush in like, you know, a, a bundle of a hundred and not hit anything mm -hmm. else. And these are in, in motion flying through the air. So it's very, it has to be very precise and, and, and strong to be able to do the damage to slice something like that. And, and not hit anything else yet. It was, it was yes. pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> and again, it's another, we keep saying this, but it's a very striking image that, uh, and the cinematography is top notch, like just the way that it slows down. Um, and you just could, it's, it creates a very nice pattern on the screen, all these brushes moving slowly through the air. Um, and yeah, and of course, Jet Li uh, takes out that one brush. Very Robin Hood-esque. Yeah, it's almost the, the shoot the third <laughs> arrow back to back and hit the bullseye. Yeah. Split, split yep. the arrow that goes in before it. Um, yeah. So we, we get to the truth and we he explains. And, and I enjoy this, this kind of banter now because the Emperor Jet Li's not trying to hide the fact that he's been caught out. Like he's already where he needs to be. Uh, and then there's this kind of interesting banter between the two of them and, and, and saying, well, how can you do that? You know, who can, who can attack from 10 paces? And then so gently explains <laughs> and he's, he's very upfront with it, with his explanation of how he's going to do it. And then, they, and then we kind of move on to um, current, current time and the, the emperor's kind of like, well, 
you don't have a weapon. <laughs> and Jetley just calmly responds, I'm going to use yours. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think out of all the the craziness and like awesome scene, that was just that was the coolest thing. It's like I'm just gonna take your sword and do it. Yeah, and this is when the emperor kind of um, decides. Well, I'm at this point, um, and pretty much gives his sword to to Nameless. He throws his sword down and says, "We'll take it." Um. I guess, though, I've jumped a little bit ahead again. Well, this is where we kind of got to earlier, um, where Jet Li attacks. But just before this, um, we have the scenes where uh, Jet Li or Nameless requires one of uh, Broken Sword or or Flying Snow to, to have this battle. And it needs to be in public. So it's going to be with the army, like in front of the army, um, challenged to a duel. And Snow and broken sword they fight on who is to do it because of the risk is that correct uh yeah and the fact that they're both lovers and neither one really wanted the other one to do it (laughs) because there is risk there is despite nameless what he's saying he's still stabbing them with a sword (laughs) but isn't the ironic thing that then snow stabs um, broken sword. It will just wounds him very lightly, so he can't then go fight Jet Li. So she still stabs him anyway. <laughs> yeah, they they both decided to stab the other one to stop them from going to the battle. To get and stabbed. Snow was just faster. Yep. Um, and so then we get the the, the big battle scene between the two, um, Jet Li and Snow, and obviously it ends as we know uh, with Jet Li being victorious. She's not killed as he promised. Um, but then a wounded broken sword comes to Jet Li. And this is, I, I think this is the pivotal moment of the story. Yes. Where uh, Jet Li, at the, to this point, his goal and intention was to kill uh, the, the, the king. And broken sword comes to him and, said, and writes two words in the sand in front of him. He said, just please listen to me. Uh, and, and we'll read these two words. And um, using his calligraphy skills in the sand, he writes, uh, I don't know if I want to try and say it. He writes, there you go. (laughs) Uh, Which translated in our version was translated as our land. Um, But I believe the actual traditional translation is more depicting everything under the heavens. It's, um, it's everything's it's, it's, it translates as under under heaven, um, the, the yep. Chinese characters do specifically, and that denotes the area of the world that the gods have given to the emperor to rule over, which in this case is China. Um, it, it, I think that that's a stronger meaning than saying our land. Our land is smaller. Under heaven is broad it's it's china as the center of the world it should be everything so um i think that yeah the 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 translation it's not an error it's just a a choice a specific choice that i think downplays like what that really might mean yeah i can definitely see that um and the director was asked this apparently and he said he said look it just happens for translation yeah um, but his, he was like in another interview, he kind of said he hopes that it can have a, a, a wider reaching meaning to the world and that we can find peace as all people, as the whole world 
is is kind of what he he wants that meaning that word to be taken as. Um, I still think our land suits because it, 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 it's, uh, I think it works, and I think the translation worked for me, and I understand what they're getting at is that it's 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 all their land. And so the more they fight over it, the less people will be able to enjoy the land. And we should be working together, uh, a unification, a peace. And so I still understand the meaning behind it, um, despite it not being completely accurate. Yeah, and I think um, their their decision to use our land, um, it's more universal because anybody can uh, understand that concept. Whereas if you said under heaven, I think that's very specific in the meaning and doesn't transfer over. Not not exactly toward the west yeah. anyway. Well, especially there's there's other views on heaven with different religions and whatnot, mm. and so there it becomes other skewed views because of that. Whereas our yeah. land is very, um, is very it's uh, understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, broad. Um, and so I, I'm have, I, I'm not huge, but apparently there's a bit of controversy around it. But the translation, but yeah, it's a very very striking. We've said that I've said that a lot. Striking scene. Um, when such a simple word, um, and I guess that goes to a lot of the cultural belief and the power that in the, the Chinese culture, from what I understand, is there is a lot of power in the written word, and they put a lot of value in the written word, um, and this is an example of it. It, after- it is, and um, it's also a large example of the, the whole film kind of relies on um, Confucian values that yep. that don't translate West. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But because of those, I mean, these specific phrases hold more meaning to um, the, the associated characters. And this becomes like the tentpole, I guess, of why Nameless does what he does and doesn't go through with his mission. Instead, understanding rightly or wrongly that the king surviving is the key to the land surviving. Yes. And, and as we talked about earlier, because I spoiled it, uh, <laughs> that that um, that if, if if the king were to die, then this war would continue, and there would be re- revenge begets revenge, um, and it would just a cycle, and and that's what the ultimate goal of Nameless is to end that cycle. And so the king is astounded by this, um, and he even uh, exclaims that an assassin even a broken sword would understand him the best of all people. Someone he barely knows would understand what he is trying to, to trying to do. Um, and he is moved by this. And that's when he um, turns his back on nameless and has provided him with a sword and said, it's up to you on what you do. Um, so very, very striking end um, oh, I guess a mix in there. We get, I guess we can cover. It's not. I guess it's not too super important. We have the battle between um, the Emperor and Sword and uh, Flying Snow in the past when they attacked, which is depicted in green. Uh, yeah, that was the the color I guess chosen for um, Snow and Broken Swords. Uh, their their side of the events, which wasn't really given much play um, through Nameless's narration and the King's. No. Um, interpretation uh yeah i think we um pretty much covered all the the the, the big points <laughs> are you are you, are you yeah. happy with this one yeah um i t- just to, to wrap up i think um it's interesting one to start with for a kung fu uh 
podcast because I would say it's more of a tragedy than a, a kung fu movie. <laughs> it it is. Um, I think, but as we go on, we'll see that a lot of these themes are going to be uh, present, uh, at least in any of the um, the Chinese films. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's a very good film. It's uh, I really enjoyed watching it the number of times I have. Uh, it's it's visually eff- effective. Um, it portrays emotions well, makes you feel what's going on. Um, and just to kind of wrap up also for the story, um, to to push the point of it being a tragedy. Uh, after we f- um, we find uh, Nameless didn't kill assassinate the emperor. Uh, flying snow is distraught um, and upset and mad with broken sword for changing nameless's mind and so she challenges him to fight and he goes to fight her at the last second he drops his guard and allows her to pierce his chest um and it was very sad because again they were they were lovers they were they were a, a couple and they loved each other but her anger towards the emperor overruled her emotions at that time and led to the death of her loved one um, because she was so angry and couldn't see past that anger. Yeah, or, or understand so, why he, uh, Broken Sword, um, chose to... Because he, he abandoned his own assassination attempt. He did yes. the exact same thing, or I guess uh, Nameless chose to do the same thing that Broken Sword had done previously. Which was to to sacrifice their uh, mission for the betterment of the people, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of how the armies of the, the king and was was treating everyone. Exactly. Uh, so it was a yeah, very good. It's kind of like a mini example of the same sacrifice that Nameless did. Nameless was like a big extravagant in front of everybody. Uh, sending the message yeah this was a, a private affair i mean really it's only the two of them that unfortunately yes. um, witnessed it so very yeah very tragic and sad um so that wraps up hero all right um it was a, it was a good film i enjoyed uh revisiting that after so many years um our, our second film we're going to take a look at and probably a little bit shorter of a look um is drunken master um, this one's with uh, Jackie Chan, and it's the first iteration of a series of films, and this one was filmed in 1978. So a long time ago. <laughs> uh, well, for us, yeah. <laughs> it's long, slightly before I was born. Yep. Um, yeah, that's going on, what, 40 years ago? Um, it's... Yeah, it's getting there. <laughs> we don't like um, to think about that. I'd I'd like to to say um, just point out that yeah, Jackie Chan is one of my favorite. Um, he's probably one of my favorite kung fu martial artists film guys. Um, I just yeah, I like. I think he's funny. <laughs> and I like his style. Um, Jet Li is a fantastic fighter and does amazing things and his fight scenes are probably better at times, but I like the way Jackie Chan, all his films tend to, he's an, I, I, why I describe it as uh, environmental Kung Fu. <laughs> he <laughs> uses his environment in his films a lot more than some of the other martial artists. And I really like that style. Um, you see it in the, even the Western films from Jackie Chan and like the rush hours and, and Shanghai noon, 
how he uses his surroundings to combat his enemies. And I, I just really like that style. Um, I think it's quite unique. Yeah, he's he's um, pretty much the the only one that really that's his bread and butter, I guess, of uh, cinematic techniques. Um, and uh, I, I think to to speak to Jackie Chan's um, longevity, he's he's still out there making movies. Yeah. Now, now there's a little bit of CG um, CGI involved in some of his his latest ones, but. Uh, He's he's no spring chicken and still... no he's not a young guy anymore <laughs> <laughs> no and he's still doing stuff that any of us would be like I'd love to be able to even do half of that yeah um, yeah and he's been around for a long time Jackie he was he was a uh, stuntman on uh, Into the Dragon I think it was with Bruce Lee yes and he was even uh, rushed to hospital because Bruce Lee hit him with nunchucks. Yeah, I think there's been a couple interviews over the years where he just he um, always speaks to the sheer, just the speed of uh, Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. It just yeah, it's always interesting to to see those uh, firsthand accounts, you know. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, uh, Drunken Master. Um, it there are a lot of um, tropes in this film, or like stereotypical characters you've seen in a lot of Chinese film. Uh, like you have the the kind of the goofball looking character. <laughs> I think you've got a, a, more than a, more than one on in this occasion. <laughs> Maybe at least true. three guys. Um, and it's very very like they go to the extreme to like present a point. Um, there's the guy the the guy who's training him in his in his father's martial arts school is like a giant exaggerated hairy mole. <laughs> um, yeah, that, 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 that's been a trope I think for for a really long time um yeah the shaw brothers and and farther back and uh the same okay i'll say that this is one of the films that i um i i, I did try this time to watch it in cantonese um unfortunately my dvd um is so old uh or it was just encoded badly where even in the cantonese language track it would pop back over to the dub so i just gave up and watched it in english <laughs> but, oh no uh, that, that's I, that's what I was going to bring up. I yeah. think it was actually dubbed on purpose because that happened on the Netflix version I had. Like it would some scenes and were or some sentences were always in English. Were in English. They were subtitled in English and they were spoken in English. So I think that might have been the original um, plan or the way the film was the, the movie was made. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something with the encoding. Um, I know I it would go in Cantonese and then in mid phrase switch back to English. So something was, um, it was on the Netflix, it was on the Netflix version as well. Yeah. They, there's just maybe, maybe the master strange. copies just, uh, maybe they just copied um, it from a DVD. <laughs> uh, but I mean, regardless, um, in, in dub, this was one of the first films I had seen, um, that way. And, um, I recall distinctly that a lot of these, um, the, I guess they're, they're British voice actors possibly. Um, but it's, it's gotta be the same, like, five people doing all of these Kung Fu movies, all the dubs. Oh yeah. That sounds the same. Yep. <laughs> yep. For sure. They but, can be uh, quite bad. Yeah. But it is, but it's like a lovable, like, um, you just, you just, uh, it's a familiar thing, you know, to return to and, and hear these same three people, you know, always the guy that has the little mole and the, you know, these dudes, it's the same guy that's performing any character that has that little mole. So it's, it's great. Good fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is good. It's kind of this funny. 
a story arc to this one. You've got like Jackie Chan, uh, who's the hero of of the of the film, but he's not. It's, they go to like great lengths to show he's he is a bit of a, of a naughty boy. He's kind of the rebel, but he's not evil or bad. Like he's not fundamentally bad or evil. Because there's a couple of kind of intro scenes that happen in the start of the film where he's kind of trying to show off to his friends. Like he's been a cool dude. He's kind of like, he's the punk of the class. Like, and he's trying to impress press them by you know getting getting close to a girl and getting stealing a kiss from her and whatnot. So he's definitely a rebel. But then straight after that, we get a scene where uh, a really confident, rich guy refuses to pay a merchant. And so Jackie Chan comes to his rescue as the hero and fights him and thrashes him <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> um, so I found it interesting. They were trying to depict, yeah, he's a bit of a rebel. He's a bit of a, a naughty boy, but he's also, he's actually good when it comes down to it. There is good to him. And they, they made that very clear in those two scenes right after each other. Like they don't really flow together <laughs> that well as a story, but, it, but they also tell a a grander, I guess, character development for his, for for him. And yeah. I don't know. What do you think of how that yeah. kind of fit together? Um, I think, I think you're, you're, um, you're right on the money there. Um, so, uh, our character, Jackie Chan's um, portraying Wong Fei Hung, which is a, a Chinese folk hero. And he's yeah. been portrayed in like, probably in 50, 60 movies, maybe more. Um, so this, is the adolescence of uh, a a person that will become uh, like a, a known rebel fighter, a um a doctor. I mean, it's it's a he's sort of a mythic figure like Robin Hood or something something to that order. Um, mm-hmm. based on you know his historical person. Um, so you're getting that injection of comedy that before this, I mean, Jackie Chan didn't wasn't known for he had had you know a handful of movies uh, under his belt um before this and bit parts extras um a villain or two in a, in a few cases um but this was his like one of his breakout hits where he the producers basically bet on him to to bring something new to the table because originally he was you know supposed to be one of the the Bruce Lee clones Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that they, they took that, I, that idea of most of these films, um, following a dramatic arc that's sort of, uh, based in Chinese opera with specific plot points and specific, you know, steps it has to hit. And they just kind of let Jackie just run with it, do something different. And, you know, it worked. Yeah, it did. Um, it comes to it, it, it kind of makes sense because there is a bit of randomness to it, but the over, overarching story does come together and it, it has a progression for his character to, to be who he is by the end of the film. Yeah. A, a point to like, we just sort of get out of the way. Um, so Jackie Chan's character, uh, he, 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 you know, he does those few naughty things. Um, but the, the woman that he picks to like, you know, hug and kiss uh, ends up being yeah. like, I think it's his cousin. That it's his cousin. No. Yeah. Um, but his aunt who is visiting the town, um, catches him out and pretty much, you know, thrashes him soundly after, after his, you know, his, his cocky, like I, I can defeat you with my Kung Fu. 
um, doesn't win. Um, the, his aunt, his aunt, uh, wins there. And, um, a little bit later they return, uh, back to, um, his father's school and it comes to light that, uh, you know, Jackie's character was, he's being, basically he's being a ruffian. So his father decides to punish him and calls for a teacher from, uh, um, out of town to come and, and discipline his son. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. And part of the thing he finds he's been a ruffian is that the person I mentioned he beats up for effectively stealing is obviously another rich, um, I don't know what you would call them, a rich landlord or lord or some or another nearby person, landowner. Yeah, I, I think um, it's a rival it's a school. Yeah, they, they, yeah they could, that would be it. Um, and... That's what I find interesting. In this case, Jackie was actually doing good. He went too far, but he was he was actually trying to get the money that was entitled to a merchant. Um, but Jackie gets—I keep saying yeah—it's easier to just say Jackie than remembering all these different names because he's got to yeah, play many different characters. <laughs> <laughs> Wong Fei, um, uh, yeah, he was actually yeah he was he's being punished. And it was just because it was actually uh, the wrongdoing was actually originally done by this rich, rich son of this of this other uh, competing school. Um, and as you say, the, the comedy from Jackie's pretty good because he ends up having to defend himself in a fight against one of their lead students. Um, and he ends up picking up his coat and saying, it's getting dusty, he's getting a bit cocky and confident and, and tries to hand someone his coat who ends up being his dad and kind of realizes this is not a good idea. <laughs> Um, and just the expressions, um, it's, it's, yeah, very, very uh, comical. Um, yeah, so he gets punished and he gets punished quite severely, doesn't he? Doesn't he get like strung up? Oh no, he gets told to do horse riding starts yeah, for like for, four hours. Yeah, I think it was longer. <laughs> it was like 10 hours or something, something <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and the, the goofy, uh, teacher from the, the Kung Fu school with the mole, he's enjoying making fun of Jackie and pouring hot water into teacups on his, on his head. Yeah. Well, I mean, it must be said that Jackie's character, like utterly embarrassed the um, assistant instructor um, prior to that. And probably, (laughs) probably, you know, countless other times that we don't see in the film, but um, the, the, that revenge um, on the part of the um, instructors, it's, it's, it's you know it's somewhat justifiable, but you know the character is so kind of skeezy that you know you're kind of like, oh come on, man, don't don't pour hot water on him. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of making the bad situation even worse for Jackie. Um, yeah. Uh, and so yeah, it's, so he gets punished, and he kind of cheats that um, by getting a friend to come put a stool in behind him, um, and he gets punished even more because his father finds out, and so he ends up resorting, as you mentioned, calling in the drunken master to train Jackie. I think one of my favorite things with these, these old uh, martial art films are the training sequences. They're just so good because like the really actually doing hardcore stuff. <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's really cool. Like that. Yeah. Jackie, he can, he's not, he's not just this on, on show. He's not like um, these uh, Hollywood actors who it's all just, special effects he's actually doing these things he's doing the hard things um yeah i think it's very impressive i don't know if we want to get into what what else happens between now and his training i guess he tries to avoid being trained uh yeah i mean he, he basically he trains he runs away 
So he, right. yep. he runs off and he's like, oh, I'm just not going to go wait. I'm not going to wait for my punishment to arrive. I'm just going to go, you know, I'll exile myself. I'll go hide with a friend or something. So he, um, he leaves and, um, he's, he's starving. So he goes to a restaurant and, um, tries to, <laughs> to sneak a meal basically, um, off of someone he thinks is just some rich guy. Who turns out to be the owner of the restaurant? <laughs> yes, and he, he he goes to the waiter, or I mean the the the, the server, whoever the checkout person is, um, to, boy, to, yeah, to yeah, pay the bill and the say, "Oh no, that um, the, you know, the guy over there, he's he said he'd he take care of the meal," and uh, the guy at the front desk is um, oh he you know he that guy said he'd pay for it. I don't think so, and uh, so Jackie's like, "Of course he said I'm his son," you know, and uh, the the clerk's like, "Actually, no, that's the owner of the restaurant, and I'm his son." So his Which little plan, you know, doesn't quite work out so well. Backfires, um, and so we get a, a fantastic uh, restaurant, or I guess a bar brawl equivalent, equivalent, yeah. <laughs> with Jackie fighting all the the waiters, the chef. Who is the chef? Like the giant gorilla guy? Like he's huge. I, I, yeah, I think he's either the chef or they just call him in. But they're like, "Oh, it's Gorilla," and he comes in and he, you know, he's like, "Watch Gorilla jump" or something, and he, you know, does that little peck muscle dance. It was great. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and they they end up because um, there's so many of them, they end up pounding Jackie to pieces, and they get their food and their wine back by punching them in the gut. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and specifically so like great. you owe us one liter of wine and you know five bowls of noodles, and every time they hit him, that specific you know thing will come out. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. It was funny, but also like, yeah, that's gross. Thanks. That's <laughs> yeah, really gross. Um, but then in the in the stumbling around in the fight, um, Jackie gets knocked into an old drunken man who ends up helping him fight. Um, who, I guess to cut a long story short, turns out to be his the guy who's supposed to be training him. <laughs> and so Jackie has run himself straight into, I guess, out of the fire into the frying pan. Out of the frying pan yeah. into the fire. <laughs> Almost literally. Yep. Um, yeah. And so we, we, he heavily resists, um, which which is kind of funny. He's, he's got that, yeah, that rebel. He's got that really, uh, um, I guess, yeah, he's that bad boy who doesn't want to conform to, to discipline. Uh, he resists very heavily and tries to run away a number of times. Um, I think the funniest one for me was when he's made to move water with a teacup from giant pots he's standing on. And when it, when the master looks away, he fall, he jumps in and acts like he's drowning. And then he, when, the, when the drunken master comes for him, he pulls him in and then runs away. Yeah, I uh, I remember I'm watching that scene and I'm like, those are pretty big pots. And I'm, I'm trying to think of how when he's in the pot and he pulls the drunken master in and he climbs back out. It's like you don't ever, the pots are huge. I mean, um, you, you don't, you can probably fit like three people in them and trying to figure out how they did that and, you know, not actually drown was it full of water you know what they do <laughs> there was clearly water in there that's the uh, thing yeah. i was gonna the, these films would never be made in in america no no the insurance wouldn't the, well this show still doesn't cover jackie jan like the amount of the, the dangerous stuff that they do like that is it's like a houdini water stunt what they have to do is yeah because the, the guy who'd been pulled in is pulled in head first. He would have to do a somersault in the water while Jackie Chan's pulling out to to kind of get his yeah. You have to curl up, turn around to be able to poke his head out. 
let's see, you got like a good five minutes before you die, so I'm sure they could have broken it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but I still. Just, <laughs> I think all the, the um, that uh, it's part of our maybe three separate training montages, and um, they, I think they just kept ramping up. They just kept it a little bit more brutal each time, and yep. I'm just going like, it, it gives me both an uh, desire, like, yeah, I want to go back and, um, uh, you know, do some more martial arts training on my own. Uh, but not like that. I don't, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have to <laughs> fill up, you know, yeah. buckets above my feet with little teacups. Yeah. Well, that's the one I was kind of thinking of earlier was, yeah, then um, I think Jackie Chan runs away and then gets thoroughly beaten by um, an assassin, a local assassin, which we didn't mention is the opening scene. And we don't see him for another like 45 minutes after the opening scene. He's basically just a, a was it Thunder Legs? Thunderleg, yeah. He's basically the Godzilla of the movie. You know, you only see him twice. Yeah. Um, he He's there to... Um, in the opening scene, the, the character he's fighting is not important. He's just there to provide, to show you how lethal he is and to show so you know who he is at the end of the movie when he turns up. And so he ends up whooping uh, an embarrassing uh, Jackie Chan. And so he runs back to his master and accepts his training at this point. Um, and yeah, then you get into the cool training montages that, and now Jackie Chan is actually willing to learn now. And so he's starting to participate. Um, and you get that cool one where yeah, he's doing sit-ups, vertical, upside down, hanging from a pole, doing full sit-ups to his knees, chin to knees, while lift pulling water from, um, from um, barrels of water, yeah, and putting them above his head. Uh, that's impressive. Those sit-ups are very hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- half the stuff he does. I mean, and this is, you know, his his much younger, very spry self. He's doing uh, cartwheels and, and flips onto his head and roll. I mean, just a lot of acrobatical uh, things. And um, it's... It's like it's really inspiring, you know, at the same time as like, yeah, how about we don't do that? <laughs> it's not, there's no mats. It's just on the grass and rocks and all kinds of things. I know. <laughs> yeah. And he beats himself good in this, in this film. Um, yeah. And so then he learns more about his master and that it's drunken Kung Fu is what his master focuses on. And that's why he's always drinking. Um. Yeah, uh, one small point, I think um, it comes up, uh, it may have been during his initial confrontation with Thunderleg, or it might be a little bit of after, but um, uh, Jackie Chan's character, his father, um, Wong Kei-ying, uh, isn't a slouch. Like, his, um, Jackie Chan's kung fu isn't winning against, you know, his aunt and a few other um, characters such as Thunderleg, or... Even, you know, of course, against uh, his own drunken master, but it's um, it's not bad kung fu. It's that Jackie's a bad student. Rather, he's not well, he, putting forth the effort that it requires. Yeah, uh, he he is good because you see, I think that's also the other reason why they had that fight with the, the rich boy in the beginning. He is he's naturally talented. He has a lot of potential. But because of his rebellious ways, he kind of, yeah, as you say, he kind of ignores his training and doesn't focus on it. But naturally, he is very talented fighter. Yeah. It's just he doesn't excel because his his laziness, his yeah, rebellious nature, um, and um, being completely embarrassed 
and this will be the first time he's probably lost so heavily to someone to Thunder Legs. He is has a, he's now gained a desire to fight or to learn or to at least train. Yeah, train seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, 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 yeah. and then we see that I think I think that he hears Thunder Leg is going to assassinate his father. Um, no, that, that might be a little bit later, actually. It is a bit later. He kind of goes through his training, and that kind of, this kind of happens quickly. And you see the uh, we learn about the different techniques from the drunken master. Uh, there's the eight drunken gods, um, which all have a very slight variation on drunken master technique. Um, actually, this is why I um, played Tekken. This is this is why I played Lei, uh, Lei Wu Lung is because mm-hmm. he was the Jackie Chan character depicted after Jackie Chan. Um, and one of his techniques and that you can go into a drunken master stance, which is always a lot of fun. <laughs> and that's why you always used to play. Uh, but there was, there's eight gods, but the eighth one, Jackie, this is where his kind of his stubborn rebellious self still comes out. He refuses mm-hmm. to, to learn and master. Uh, what's her name? Yeah. Miss Ho. Miss, Miss Ho. Um, who's the lady. So the only lady drunken God. And because he's the, he's, he feels silly acting feminine. <laughs> yeah, and he's, kind of he's just like, that's feminine, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And when he does attempt to do it, he becomes very silly about it and childish about, uh, yeah, using it. Um, and so again, it creates a great uh, comedic uh, time. Um, I guess somewhat of a sexist <laughs> view from Jackie there. But... Is, yeah. I mean, it's, it was 1978, <laughs> a different, different time. Um, and yeah, but, um, but also, but also very funny. Um, yeah. well, and, and I mean, it does get turned around um, later in the film. It does. So, um, yeah, and I guess we get the, that example when he gets beaten by his aunt, uh, he, he's being very sexist and saying, you're a woman, you can't beat me. But she turns around and whoops his ass, um, and which is very really cool. Like showing such a, a strong fighter, um, uh, female characters. Kind of, I guess, in some ways, Jackie's character is sexist. The film itself is trying to portray women having strength still. Yeah. So there, it's not. Yeah. So it's, I think it's very really cool. Um, and then, I guess there, there are other weird story fights with other people that go without, like around this film. I don't know if we need to really cover them. The kind of I don't know why they're there necessarily except for proving providing opportunities for more fights <laughs> uh, yeah and to kind of show a couple other kind of either goofy styles or you know something just to inject more comedy into it um but still yeah. have some uh mm, bridging gaps i think what they wanted to do was keep the story moving forward so they kind of had to have a few more opponents or more things to like um contrast his training against Yep, so you know, sure. each, each time we see him being beaten by something or someone else being beaten and then him training more and then the, you know, the fruits of his effort show up again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and again, that that's, they're very enjoyable to watch. Um, they do seem a little forced at times. And um, the band, the, the stick guy, the stick fighter, that's an example one, but Jackie ends up getting revenge because he loses and stealing wine. Um, yeah (laughs) um completely and again it's his naughty side coming out here instead of just beating him he fully embarrasses him by putting his face in poo and (laughs) but jackie steals two big giant barrels of wine goes back and his master said i've taught you all i can and he has left Um, and this is when jackie returns home 
because he's gone through his year of training and now he can return home because he's done as his father's asked. And I think this is when he finds out that his father's been um, targeted uh, by the assassin. Targeted. And this is where I mean, it's kind of weird with some of the story arcs is that now we've got the same head of the martial arts school that was complaining about uh, Jackie's character at the beginning is now trying to challenge um, Jackie's father for land and wants to buy land off him because he wants to take it for uh, coal mining. And so it's like, there's all this, this plot points that, yeah, um, I put in there to just make a point and to create a final boss effectively, <laughs> but that don't necessarily fit that well. Uh, like I mean, I, I didn't look too much into it, but they, some of those exactly. things could be historical nods. You know, maybe there are maybe there are parts that the Wong Fei Hung uh, history like has to hit. Yep. So it's kind of like the Dark Souls three. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just kind of shoehorning some stuff in, and hey, look, it's it's the blacksmith, Andre, uh, to help us. <laughs> and so yeah, so it kind of now there was the conflict with Jackie and fighting the two, the two sons fighting, and now there's a conflict over land, and it's just abruptly brought in. It doesn't really um, evolve to anything. It just kind of gets mentioned, <laughs> and because um, Jackie's character father won't give up the land, the this. Um, Rival hires Thunderlegs, the assassin, um, to challenge Jackie's father. Um, just right when Jackie's getting home. Um, but Jackie's father is pretty good. I should say this character's name. I'm terrible. Wong Fei's father is pretty badass and still holds his own to a fair, to a, a fair amount. Um, and forces Thunderlegs to bring out a different technique that we haven't seen throughout the, the film. Um, but yeah, but of course, Jackie, as being the hero of the film, has to come in to save the day. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the fight? Do you think this is was it a good um, pinnacle to the film or conclusion with, the, with this fight scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It um, it went out of its way to showcase each of the um, eight drunk gods, which uh, are the techniques um, that uh, the drunken master imparted to um, Jackie's character and it kind of gives that each one is not fully effective by itself. Like it works on some people, but with someone, you know, with the skill of this assassin Thunderleg, they, they can't be done sequentially. It has to kind of be combined. Yeah. Cause we get, um, we get a scene where the actual drunken master, though he did leave, he came back. Cause in his note, I think he says that I'll always be there if you need me. And Jackie needs him, so he's there <laughs> quite conveniently in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, and so Jackie is winning, but then the, the master shifted, the, the, the assassin shifts his technique, and then Jackie's on the ropes. The master describes that, as you said, the, the, the techniques need to be molded into one, which still isn't working to start off with because Jackie's refusing to do uh, the lady. Well, he never learned it. I think that was the uh, that was the, well, that was yes. the other problem because he never practiced it, so he didn't know it. He's missing one of the eight drunk gods. Yeah, but then he he I don't know I don't know how would you describe that. He kind of focuses. 
he, he um, the, the masters throughout the fight, I think um, he's, he's kind of yelling out techniques or he's narrating yeah. like little bits of the fight. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he, he tells, he tells Jackie, um, he, he, cause Jackie's like, Oh, I don't, I didn't learn that one when he's talk, uh, telling him use the, <laughs> use uh, Miss Ho. And so he says, you know, she's like within you to combine the, all the gods together and that will be your miss her so if anything i mean that we talked kind of like how the 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 film is portraying women and in this instance she's like the penultimate form of this drunken boxing yep um, and so we get a, a, fe- a slightly exaggerated feminine version of Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was it's amusing and also like, yeah, what are you doing, Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it was a very and uh, very cool scene, and they are actually fighting like <laughs> a lot of it. I'm sure they're connecting a lot of the a lot more of these hits than we would see in a lot of other films. Um, yeah, I, I I think it um and also goes to show like how they how they are outfitted so jackie um in this particular this last fight scene he has sort of a purple pants and a sleeveless shirt and i mean that has to be to hide bruises and stuff they're they're they're, they're getting tossed everywhere <laughs> yep um yeah oh the way he hits the ground man as you said earlier no mats like the he he's flipping and he's jumping like the height of a like his his full height before landing on his back like and that ground was dry and hard. There was no mud or anything. It was hard. So yeah, very, very brutal on the body. Uh, and one thing I actually like about um, Chinese films is the way they end. They tend to just end. <laughs> like, but basically he wins and then it stops. Like that's basically it. Like, and there's no kind of like grand ending where they show everyone living happily ever after. It just ends. He accomplished what he needed to do. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a sort of a, a not really a slice of life, but it's it's a slice of a story, like a specific tale that may have been told. You know, you know, the day in the life of Wong Fei Hung, this thing that happened that formed his character. Um, true or not, I mean, that's that's all it was. It wasn't trying to give you a moral because the moral was train hard, do your work, and you'll be good at what you're supposed to do. Yep. So I think that was the ending was him becoming a better person. Yeah, and and listening to, to and learning to listen to others and I guess fight for others um more rather than just being selfish. Oh yeah, I mean like that that that's those Confucian values that pop up again. I mean these the the um the specific relationships you have to have is you know your father to you, your teacher to you. These they're the things you can't like shrug off. You have to like obey them. And mm. his life was going somewhat poorly until he like understood that, like re- understood it, you know, internally. And then yep. he succeeds. And plus I, a lot I of hard work. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of, hard, a lot of sit-ups. <laughs> yeah. Of, and those, um, those horrible wrist push-ups that just hurt me thinking about them. Oh, those are, yeah. Like, I guess we should describe him for those who don't remember. He's doing a push up and pushing off the ground, popping off the ground. And instead of like doing a clap, like what we would do <laughs> if we were trying to be extreme, he's flicking his wrists backwards. So he's landing on the back of his hands. 
and then then pushing again and landing on his palms and vice and going backwards in between the two. Yeah, that oh, it looks painful. And his feet were up on a bench, so he's not even like flat on the ground. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. It's more weight on it. Whew. man, it's good stuff, Jackie. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, we'll we'll have to explore some other crazy training montages and <laughs> we will. Um, they are my favorite. Um, I guess this, uh, in a parallel to like a Western story, I guess this ties into the prodigal son from like Chris- Christianity teachings. I don't know if you're familiar with it. The son returning um, to yeah. the father. And this is, in this case, he was sent away by the father. Um, but again, both were, I guess, sinful or naughty <laughs> um, and, but, and returned. He returned to his father to, to, to help him in his time of need. Um, just much like the prodigal son returned to his father and had changed his ways and was willing to listen and do what his father asked. So I guess there's an analogy or a, a crossover between, I guess, Western storytelling. Yeah. That makes it relatable. Culture. I mean, these are those kind of universal themes. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. No, I mean, um, it was a lot of fun so- to come back and look at this since like, even this one's been a few years since I've seen it. So that was fun because well, someone so yeah exactly um i i haven't seen this for probably 10 12 years um it was it's a very good film i highly recommend it um some of the older martial art films are harder to hard to watch they can be a, a bit more painful um because of quality or whatnot whereas this one despite its age is actually filmed quite well um i think if it was made now i think it would be a bit uh quicker there's a lot of uh wasted uh, footage in, in this film and, and because it's reasonably long for a martial art film uh so but regardless it's a good film it's a very good film yeah uh, i think the comedy that the nature that um jackie chan brings to these movies um makes them a little bit more timeless than just the, the story itself so that's mm-hmm. um it's engaging the entire time you're not really there's not a lot of downtime in the film at least yep i agree do you know what, just to, before we wrap up, uh, do you know what time period this film was set in? I, I was struggling to work it out. It feels re- like it's supposed to be reasonably modern. I want to say that this is probably around the Boxer Rebellion. Um, so it's got to be like late 1800s. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking, yeah, reasonably modern compared to ancient China. Um, but it, it, again, it's, it was kind of hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's... Um... 19th century might as well take a look at the, the wikipedia super fast <laughs> i guess it would, uh, probably would say wouldn't it yeah so it's 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 the end of the um 19th century okay cool uh, it's that's roughly where i thought, thought it would be um yeah so i would recommend it I, from what i saw it has a very high uh, rotten tomatoes rating on the website so that's good <laughs> so it's obviously why not just us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah i guess that wraps us up it's been really fun chatting kung fu with you david uh, yes. <laughs> same thing vader and i look forward to next time i was just going to say if anyone any recommendations on films you'd like us to chat about your favorites um dislikes would happy to take them in so we can cater to to the audience um, and to answer your question that I interrupted, um, I'm just Vader Van Oden on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, VaderVanOden.com, um, which leads to all my stuff.
<laughs> and I can be found on Twitter at uh, sentinut underscore plus. And yeah, uh, we'd be we'd be delighted to have some questions, comments, um, maybe some future guest appearances. If there's a film you'd really like to talk about, we're we're totally game for that. Awesome. Well, I guess we'll leave it there. All right, and uh, thank you for listening. Bye bye.